0: You're listening to think funny with aaron donnelly nate sadler and matt donnelly for show notes and to check out aaron's books please visit aaron and now the show that only thinks it's funny the think funny podcast
1: hey everybody uh thanks for tuning in to the think funny podcast I'm Nate Sadler, here with Aaron Donnelly. Hey, guys. And Matt Donnelly. Hey, everybody. Yeah, thanks for filling in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, so today, Nate had a great idea uh, to talk about one of our favorite comics of all time, Mitch Hedberg. So I'm just going to tell the quick story that how I got introduced to Mitch Hedberg. I was watching TV one day. And this comedian came on and he started doing his bid on comedy central. And I stood up and pointed at the TV and said, yes, this is what I've been looking for. And then I went to the computer and Googled it and found out that he had died the night before. before. Uh, So, because that's why they were showing all of his stuff. So, Uh, And it was Mitch Hedberg. Uh, He died on March 29th, 2005. He's not as well-known, obviously, as some of the major comedians, but in uh, comedy circles, he's revered as one of the greats of all time and and specifically one of the great uh, comedic writers, I think, for his joke structure and just a sheer volume of uh, great jokes that he had. He's got
1: a very particular way of delivery All right, if Bruce Springsteen
3: did stand-up comedy, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) Yeah, I got got to write these jokes. So uh, I sit at the hotel at night, I think of something that's funny. Then I go get a pen and I write it down. Or if the pen's too far away, I have to convince myself that what I thought of ain't funny.
1: I would put it in the
2: same realm as like Stephen Wright. And Jack Handy uh deep thoughts type stuff i can see that yeah um and then i think you know there's others that obviously have been influenced so Dimitri martin um, i love
1: dmitri martin
2: yeah or uh, nick thune I don't, I don't know if you know him he, he's of him. did you see the comedy central special i think it was the special okay. yeah.
1: yeah i've tried to memorize that whole it's 46 minutes yeah I've, I've you know literally it, tried to memorize the whole thing i you it, can ask the guys in the office
2: But You know know what I've heard about that special is that when they were filming it, he was kind of bombing at times and even sat on the stage at one mm -hmm. point, which they edited out.
1: He says, let me go to the back and see if it works better (laughs) back here.
3: You know on TV when they have a fishing show on TV, they catch the fish, but they let it go. They don't want to eat the fish, but they do want to make it late for something. (laughs) Where were you? I got caught. (laughs) Liar, let me see the inside of your lip. (laughs) Dogs are forever in the push-up position. (laughs) That joke joke. joke is dumb, I'm aware of that.
2: So he's got a deadpan sort of surrealist uh, one liner non sequitur. The, the word in uh, Wikipedia use, which I'd never heard before, was paraprostokian, uh, wow. which means basically misdirection. So you start telling a joke and then he he turns it a silly way that you wouldn't have expected. And it's just a bunch of those. So there's not a lot of segue in between. It's just a lot of those in a row. It's stream you know, of
1: consciousness. It's, yeah. uh, it's Bob Dylan of comedy. Right. But I, I'll give you a compliment, Aaron. Like when I read your, your book, uh, that's kind of how I felt like, you know, they're all kind of a little short story and it always like completely like the wheel is yanked and it goes off the road. Like you you can't predict how it's going to end. And I love that. It's not a straightforward joke punchline. It's a, the it's just completely veers off the road and that's how I feel like Mitch Hedberg stuff goes. So,
2: yeah, I think I've given the example before it was a Harvard, I don't know what it was, some kind of a video or study. And it was trying to identify what humor is at its purest form. And it was a baby and you had a, it was holding a piece of paper and then you, a guy ripped it and the baby laughed. And because that was an unexpected turn or twist that sparked the, the laughter. And I think that's, that's why I'm attracted to this type of humor. I think it is sort of the most pure. It's also not vulgar. It's silly. So it's almost childlike a lot of times. And it's a childlike, silly, stupid spin on a topic.
3: I was in downtown Boise, Idaho, and I saw a duck. And I knew the duck was lost because ducks ain't supposed to be downtown. There's nothing for them there. So I went to a Subway sandwich shop. I said, let me have a bun. But she wouldn't sell me just the bun. She said I had to have something on it. She told me it's against regulations for Subway to sell just the bun. I guess the two halves ain't supposed to touch. So I said, all right, we'll put some lettuce on which I did. They said, that'll be $1.75. I said, it's for a duck. They said, all right, well, then it's free. See, I did not know that. Ducks eat for free at Subway. Had I known that, I ordered a much larger sandwich. Let me have to steak fajita sub, but don't bother ringing it up. It's for a duck. There are six ducks out there, and they all want sun chips.
2: Do you guys have a list at all of some of your favorite ones? Well, I, I liked what he
4: said, and it was real fitting because of his career as trying to break in with a, a sitcom and also his career with trying to write, direct a movie.
3: But when you're in Hollywood and you're a comedian, everybody wants you to do other things besides comedy. They say, all right, you're a stand-up comedian. Can you act? Can you write? Write us a script. They want me to do things that's related to comedy, but not comedy. That's not fair. (laughs) It's as though if I was a cook and I worked my ass off to become a good cook. They said, all right, you're a cook. Can you farm?
1: planted a carrot once i think he got me with the the rice joke (laughs) rice is great if you're really hungry and you want two thousand of something
2: yeah Uh, so some of my favorites were uh, uh and i found a couple that i hadn't seen anywhere but when i like this one when i was 18 i was kind of sick living here so my friend tim and i packed up his volare we moved from minnesota to florida we wanted to move to texas but the front end alignment was bad I have (laughs) not heard that one yeah I did not heard the one either Um, here's another one I hadn't heard last week I helped my friend stay put it's a lot easier than helping someone move I just went over to his house and made sure he didn't start loading shit into a truck (laughs) Uh, uh, one of my other favorites is I had a a couple uh, my friend said you know what I like mashed potatoes I was like dude you got to give me time to guess I know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but my favorite one is the donut joke Uh, Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. That just, to me, that encapsulates Mitch Hedberg.
4: If you had to pick one and put it on his tombstone, that'd be the one to pick.
3: I bought a donut, and they gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt for a donut. I'll just give you the money. You give me the donut. (laughs) And the transaction. (laughs) We don't need to bring ink and paper into this. (laughs) I I just cannot imagine a scenario where I'd have to prove that I bought a donut. Some skeptical friend don't even act like I didn't get that donut. I got the documentation right here. Always back home in the fire. Under D. Redona.
2: So he was born in uh, Minnesota and he had a heart condition. As a kid, he was in the hospital a lot. I said for the first six years of his life, he spent a lot at the University of Minnesota Hospital for heart problems. Um, later, of course, he would die of a heart-related uh, illness. Now, I don't think the autopsy has ever been uh, revealed, but obviously there was uh, cocaine and heroin drug abuse and likely that potentially triggered with this, uh, existing heart condition might've caused his death. So, and he actually had a lot of anxiety, I think over that and his heart condition, but anyway, so, uh, he barely graduated high school, was just sort of a, a joker and just left after high school as soon as he could to go to Florida to try stand up. He didn't even tell his parents he was leaving. He just left with a friend, went and slept on a beach, smoked a lot of pot. This, one story says he spent thanksgiving that year at a local mission um anyway he got he found a a girlfriend and he started doing stand-up in the 80s and 90s there was even a bigger probably stand-up sort of culture than there is now it was really booming especially in the 80s you could get a lot of work wherever doing it so he kind of started traveling doing that uh, with his girlfriend and with you know friends and guys that later became uh, you know big stand-up comics uh, in their own right. Slowly he got started getting success. He got a spot on MTV in 1993. He got a spot on Letterman. He was on the New Faces showcase in Montreal, which is a big deal for stand-up. Um, and then he continued to get on Letterman. I don't know if you guys happened to see
4: his movie, uh, that he did lost enchiladas. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched part of it. it no, it, it well, <laughs> I, the, the copy I had was uh, really bad. It, I got it off of Roku and one of those apps. Uh, so it was a really poor quality, but it was just, I guess he was, I guess he
2: was stoned the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's on YouTube. Actually. You can watch the whole thing. It's definitely like, it looks almost homemade, you know, it's low budget. His scenes that he's in are really funny. Like there's one at the beginning where this guy is talking, he's talking to his buddy and he's like, his buddy's talking to uh, him about like his stepdad or something. Because all the guy wants to talk about is shooting pool or going hunting or playing darts. And and then Mitch goes, damn, that guy likes to aim. <laughs> and it's like, a, so there's a lot of those little things that are in yes. that. And, so and this was like 99 in 1999 so this is kind of before he got his big break eventually got a $500,000 sitcom deal with Fox Now that never materialized and um, there was never a sitcom that he did with Fox It's and a damn
1: shame because you know yeah. Seinfeld I think was kind of wrapping up at that time and he had a sitcom deal like in hand and it felt like you know he was on the verge of something
2: yeah it's I, I really just selfishly wish that he had, you know, obviously not died, but because I think that had he had a sitcom, it could have moved, it could have uh, evolved and progressed the sitcom further. Just from even watching, you know, Los Enchiladas and seeing the scenes that he's in, it they're, they're different, they're they're interesting in a way that I think that he could have really continued to move things forward in comedy. Most um, cut short. Did you uh, find anything about? why he was not able
4: to come up with a why him and Fox weren't able to come up with a deal.
2: Uh, a, a I didn't. No, yeah, I I know. You know? Development deals are something that used to happen in the eighties and nineties with uh networks and they don't have them anymore, but that was the big thing. If you're a stand up comedy, you wanted to get this elusive development deal. And basically they just gave you a bunch of money and said, whatever you come up with, you're gonna work with us on because it's like gambling, you know, you, you give a bunch of these out and then every once in a while you get a Ray Romano or from what I understand that doesn't happen anymore. But that was sort of the elusive thing that all comedians wanted to get was to move to L.A. and get a development deal. It'd be and fun to
4: um, go back and see what what were the uh, sitcoms at that time that were they were on air and comparing to what, yeah. you know, what Mitch Hedberg sitcom could have been <laughs> compared to what,
1: what was on TV at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember him on uh, that 70s show?
2: He was on. Was he on just one episode, or was it more? Um,
1: I think he might have been on a few. Like you know, he's working in the diner. I thought. I thought maybe he was a reoccurring character, but maybe not. I don't know.
2: I know he was on. He was in um, almost famous for like a scene. He was a yep. an agent or somebody. Oh well, he has a joke about that. He said, I, "I think he said that it got cut, but he was smoking fake pot with Peter Frampton in the movie." Yes, and and then he's like. I've smoked real pot with guys that look like Peter Frampton way more. <laughs> yeah.
3: I got into an argument with a girlfriend inside of a tent. That's a bad place for an argument. Cause then I tried to walk out and slam the flap. How are you supposed to express your anger in this situation? Zipper it up really quick.
2: So he basically went back on tour and he had a new girlfriend lynn shawcroft who he would eventually they would get married and they would just go and, and tour basically he was he was always on the road uh, would do like 300 shows a year always writing
0: one thing i learned from mitch about writing and um which probably really attracted me to him was he was a huge proponent of daydreaming i think he considered hanging out and thinking extremely valuable way to spend your time like just hanging out and like thinking or allowing your thoughts to drift um setting up your life so that you can have that time to use your imagination and I love that he loved writing he loved the pen he loved the paper he loved sharpies he um would constantly be like, I want a Sharpie to sponsor me. He loved pens he loved paper. He just loved it. He loved being in a room with a pad. He told me that when he first started doing comedy, for the first years, he would go to like places where he felt kind of weird to write. He would go to like, um, he would go to Target cafeterias, like really bright light with weird people, and like, you know what I mean? That would make him feel comfortable, maybe a bit surreal. So he would write a lot there.
2: She. Um, was with him the night he died and they were pretty, you know, sort of to themselves. Mitch was an introvert anyway. So I think him and Lynn had this really tight bond and she has dealt with a lot of the guilt and a lot of probably even, you know, fan pushback and, and everything. So she's had a lot of process that way. She has kept all of his journals and a bunch of video of him that's never been released. And, so she's worked, still working on that, I believe. She's released some of the journal pages. He would practice free writing to where you just sit down and you start writing any thoughts that come to your head, whether they're serious or funny. And then he would work from that to develop jokes in an act. And he has lots of notebooks, apparently, that are out there, some good material, some bad. And I think that's really important. And and I think that's why, and if you listen to a stand-up, the jokes are not only really funny, but they're funny because they're so concise. And they're dialed in. There's not unnecessary words. They were obviously written and and worked on on paper.
0: I've read people are like, "Yeah, you just got on stage and wrote that and said that, which is insane." And um, I don't think people know there's so much work that goes into a comedian, and he put tons of the hard work into it. But he would write constantly, and I have lots of his notebooks. So many notes. He would just write thought.
1: Have you guys ever heard, um, like, have you ever gone to YouTube and listened to other stand-up shows by Mitch Hedberg where yeah. you can hear him kind of crafting a joke? Like you'll hear maybe a little bit of a different version of the Bigfoot joke or, you know, just a little bit ver- different version of the donut joke. Like he's crafting right. it, like you're saying, right. like he's kind of smoothing off the edges. That's what I love is maybe he's trying a joke. And if it kind of bombs, he'll acknowledge it. That's what I love about him is, So kind of acknowledge it to the crowd and kind of make fun of it, how the joke didn't go over. And I love that about him, that he's that self-aware to in the moment when I think any normal person would probably freeze. You know, he acknowledges that it bombed and he moves on. I just love that.
2: He had this persona of this guy that was lazy, but underneath was was actually working very hard at this craft uh, to make that look effortless.
3: I got a new CD. It's in stores. When you have a CD in stores, you have to do in-store appearances. If nobody shows up, I just pretend like I'm shopping. That's how I shop. I sit behind a table with a pen. I hate to dream. Dreaming takes energy. Sleeping is supposed to be a relaxing affair. I lay down on the bed. It feels great. Next thing you know, I have to build a go-kart with my ex-landlord. Dr. Shoal makes foot products and he's a doctor, so he went to school for a long time, but it doesn't take a lot to figure out that stepping on a cushion will be more comfortable. <laughs> that guy wasted lots of time at school because I'd have bought that shit from a Mr. Shoal. Maybe even a senior show.
2: As far as the drugs, He got arrested in Texas because at an airport, because they found some syringes in his bag. And uh, when he got arrested, um, they did a physical and they found that his leg was like really seriously infected because he was shooting up uh, through his leg, apparently. And so they said, You can't go to jail. You got to go to the hospital right now. And so they performed a 13 hour surgery on him and they were debating whether to amputate his leg. It was so bad. They had to take muscle from his back and put it into his leg. He limped for the rest of his life after that. Mm. But I think after that, a lot of his, you know his friends were like, "No, this is this is serious. This, something's going to happen." And I think Mitch even alluded to that, like he you he, he said he wanted to live like Jim Morrison and and uh, go out young or whatever. And so anyway, it, it just sounds like to me like it was just one of those things that just continues to build and build and build, and then one day it's just it's just crosses the line and it's too much, and his heart failed. I mean he he went out during his. I
4: don't even know if he reaches peak. I don't know what you no. guys think of that. I don't even. I think he he was really just coming into his own uh, because he had only at that point released two comedy
2: albums strategic grill locations was the first one and that came from him working in a like a diner and the boss teaching him about where to put things on the grill so st- called it strategic grill locations <laughs> so uh there's that mitch altogether was released in 2003 and then do you believe in gosh was 2008 after uh, three years after he died I've
3: been on the David Letterman Show twice. Anyone see me? Hey, I'll be damned. (laughs) Like four million people watch that show and I don't know where the hell they are. (laughs) uh, That's my favorite introduction I've ever had. You might have seen this next comedian on the David Letterman Show. But I believe more people have seen me at the store. (laughs) And that would be a better introduction. You might have seen this next comedian at the store. And people would say, hell yes, I have.
2: (laughs) His wife did release some of his journal pages. Here's just a sample of some of his free writing where you just write whatever comes. And um, Let's see. Got to write every day. Be productive. You have to keep it flowing. If you halt it, the wave will crash. No need to be over positive. Just up-tempo and cool. I want to be the genius with the uneaten sandwich on his workstation. I like the sound of a computer keypad as the finger's push the letters down and create amazing stuff it's time to drink fresh juice and grill marinated meats drink coffee just ground from the costa rican bean i gave lynn a nice end but not on purpose i love to keep my nose clean of hair it hurts if you yank on them ink is the blood of a rider smoking a pipe is relaxing and smells great so anyway he's just you can see but he's getting it down on paper his thoughts <music> I just believe
3: that that if you're doing what you want, if you're happy, it, you know, that's what success is about because it doesn't have to be about entertainment or making a lot of money, but, you know, you just gotta, you gotta really love what you do. You know, they, they hand me some money now. I'm gonna take that money, put it in my pocket and just pull the notebook out and keep on writing. You know <laughs> what I'm saying, man? I'm just gonna keep on writing.
4: I've got something for the uh sports slap <laughs> <Slappin'> sports <action. laughs> You don't know the name of your own segment. Yeah, uh, okay. It's Matt ass slapping sports action. I don't know if yeah. you guys watched the, the ten part documentary on Michael Jordan, Last Dance. Yeah, not I want to. I haven't yet. Bits
1: of it, it's great.
4: Yep. Yeah. There was there's one little thing in uh ep- the last episode that caught my attention and I remembered it happening when it did because I was watching it live, but the last uh, game of Michael Jordan uh, played with the Bulls championship run game six against the Utah jazz. There was a ass slap exchange between Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that. (laughs) It's really funny because they were like, they were going after a loose ball and then they like tripped over each other and they got up and they tripped over each other again. And then, then Dennis Rodman like stands up and gives him a big slap on the ass and then Ballone got mad and, and turned around and slapped him. <laughs>
1: it, uh, really? I can see yeah. Rodman lingering a little too long with his slap. <laughs> like oh. he doesn't just slap and get out. I can see him kind of just yeah. staying in the neighborhood for a minute. But. but it
4: was pretty amazing to watch it in real time. But I guess uh, yeah. after that, a month, I think after that, a month later, so uh, they they uh, had that wrestling match, WWE. I don't know what it was called back then, but they had that wrestling match and uh, Rodman teamed up with uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan Uh, against Rodman and some other guy. It was like Diamond Dave something. Uh, They had a tag team match after that.
2: (laughs) That's a great uh, ass slap uh, callback in history, Matt.
4: I know. Yeah, it was was the great ass slaps in history. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the next segment.
1: (laughs) That'll be like, at the first Olympics in 2000 (laughs) BC in Greece,
4: But Carl Malone's was was a slap in anger. He was clearly mad. Yeah. So that doesn't really count because you know you don't want to. You never want to ask slap in anger. It's always got to be a positive thing. So yeah.
1: you don't. No, I think Oasis sang about that. They said, <laughs> "Don't ask slap in anger." <laughs> I think that's how that goes. Thanks everybody for listening to the Think Funny Podcast. I'm Nate Sadler with Aaron Donnelly and Matt Donnelly. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at think Funny Podcast. That's at ThinkFunnyPodC1. Thanks for listening.
3: I think Bigfoot is blurry. That's the problem. It's not the photographer's fault. Bigfoot is blurry. And that's extra scary to me because there's a large out of focus monster. Roaming the countryside. One time a guy handed me a picture of me. He said, here's a picture of me when I was younger. Every picture is of you when you were younger. Ain't that, ain't that about time someone said that?